0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. So, here you are. Too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebino, Diaspora Blues. What
1: makes you smile? And adds a spring to your step. What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home?
0: Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced Produced by by Ayan.
2: Welcome to Diaspora Blues, a 3CR program produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Diaspora Blues also airs on Tuesdays at 3.30pm on Radio Skid Row, a community radio station in Sydney. My name is Ayan Shirwa. It's 31st of May, the fourth day of our circuit lockdown in Melbourne. That's right, our fourth in the past 14 months. This latest lockdown started May 27th and is expected to end June the 3rd. If you are a Melbourneian, you already know the drill. Wear a mask when you leave your house, travel within the five kilometer radius and leave your house only for permitted reasons. Head over to coronavirus.vic.gov.au to learn more. That's coronavirus.vic.gov.au. As usual, we have a huge show for you today. So two weeks ago, I visited the crew and kids from Real Youth Music Studios, Rhymes for Short. We'll hear more from this spunky group of young people soon and later on the show we play highlights from the Small Acts Forum organised by VietSpeak.
3: Hi, this is Isaac and I'm talking to you from a tree seat 40 metres high in the Arenandra Plateau. I'm here with other activists because we want to stop what Big Forest is planning to do, which is to destroy 60 new areas in one of the last refuges of unburned forests in East Gippsland. We're calling the state government to protect all unburned areas of East Gippsland. If you want to get involved, contact gecko at gecko.org.au and join the campaign. A 3CR
1: supporter.
2: When i was a kid my mom signed me up to our local ymca youth group i have mainly fond memories from that time it was a lot of fun you know you got to hang out with your friends and attend things like the theater or horse riding at discount prices we even had family camps to phillip island like i said it was an incredible childhood one which i'm so thankful for one glaring disparity though is that the peer leaders at the time were all white that's something you notice and you assume is just natural then you get older and you realize hang on a sec that shouldn't be the case times have changed now we have peer leaders who live in the community who look like us talk like us even eat the same food as us but we still have a long way to go because even though things are slowly changing Those in management and in senior positions are still, you guessed it, very white. Having said that, I'm so grateful that our young people get the opportunity to see black people in peer leader roles. One group who is doing excellent work is Real Youth Music Studios, Rhymes for short. Rhymes is a music and dance program for young people aged 8 to 13 from Collingwood and Fitzroy, I spoke to peer leader Akolda and youth development practitioner Christabel about this program and how it serves the community. I also spoke to two young people signed up to Rhymes who I personally think the world isn't ready for. Welcome to Diaspora Blues.
4: Thanks. Thank (laughs) you for having us.
2: Before we start anything, because right now everyone's just giggling, we're having a really good time. But where are we? Can one of you tell me where we're at?
1: We're at The Push,
2: which is located at Collingwood Yards. Beautiful. So let us get to know you. So who is here with me? Who wants to start?
4: Yeah, hi. My name is Ocolda and I'm a peer leader with The Drum and I co-facilitate Rhymes Real Youth Music Studios.
1: My name's is I'm a youth development practitioner at The Drum and I facilitate Rhymes.
2: What does the day in the life of... A practitioner and a peer leader, what does that look like?
1: Uh, lots of planning, emails, um, partnership, conversations. Yeah.
4: For a peer leader, there's a lot of um, engagement with young people, picking up young people from the estates, Collingwood and Fitzroy, and I uh, just connecting with young people.
2: What do you think it takes to engage with young people?
4: I believe or I feel like just being true to yourself and being yourself is really important because young people really catch on to that really quick. So just being yourself is the main point that I would take from that because young people just, they they can feel your vibe straight away.
2: Speaking of vibes, can you tell us more about that? Because you and I, Cristobal, we had a conversation before we started about how kids have a very good bullshit detector so kids kind of know when you're not about that. So mm-hmm. can you share that anecdote that you shared with me if you feel comfortable?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, when I first started working with young people, um, and it's actually a similar cohort of young people that come to Rhymes, uh, We were having a bit of a dance party. I caught a vibe. I started dancing too. And then one of the young people turned around and without a word crossed their arms over and just looked at me. And then I knew I could no longer (laughs) dance.
2: (laughs) How do you, so how do you handle a situation like that? Being rejected, not being rejected, but like the kids kind of going, "Mm -mm, that's Mm. not what we're about. How do you take something like that?
1: Well, I mean... After the initial ego bruise, um, I guess like, I'll just ask them to show me how it's done or or I'll just keep doing my thing and kind of show them that I'm confident
2: anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about rhymes. What is rhymes about? What kind of work do you guys do?
4: Um. So rhymes... We have young people, mostly middle-year children, between 8 to 14-year-olds who come to Rhymes. And then we just all hang out and we um, have sections where we can, young people are writing music. We've got a studio where young people are recording. And we also have a space where young people can really just be themselves and um, hang out, play games, or even like, I don't know, create, be creative, but uh, Abel can explain a bit more as well.
2: Yeah, and Christabel, I know you did psychology, and now you work with young people in creative pursuits. Are those two related? Is psychology and you know the creative world? Do you see any links between those two?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that Rhymes um, was initially before it was Rhymes. There was another music program happening um, that kind of got shut down, and I was working on that program. And I could see the benefits to, like, the young people's mental health and, like, the community as at large um, health because there was this focused activity that gave them a lot of joy and meaning and connection um, and sense of, like, confidence and achievement. So I think in that sense, um, in terms of wellbeing... Um,
2: they're connected. I definitely see it, and you know, when you do work with the kids and you see them do something outside of their comfort zone, like what does that make you feel to know that you're playing a role in that?
4: Amazing. Well, for me, like just seeing young people, because just working with the young people for the past three years, just seeing the way they've grown and developed in themselves, and just how confident they've become.
2: When it comes to working with the community, so there's a lot of trust involved, right? How do you build that? How do you build trust and connection with the community? I
1: would say just being consistent and reliable um, and kind of honouring them as like autonomous people, um, as the authority in their own lives and kind of supporting them to do that. But consistently, that's how I've found um, I've made the most meaningful connections with the young people.
4: Yeah, for me, I think just having um, that lived experience and also coming from a background or growing up in Fitzroy and um, seeing these young people grow up before I even started my job working with um, the drum or doing my course, just being that young person that they know from the community who now works with them Mm. is a huge um, achievement.
2: Does that sometimes also get in the way because you're part of the community and once you clock off, normally you clock off, but is there ever a time where you find yourself doing work outside of work hours?
4: Definitely, definitely. I feel like I'm working with my community and working with young people from the same area. Definitely, I don't feel like I'll ever have any time where I'm not working, even when, I'm, when I clock off. So, yeah, that's another challenge that comes with working with communities constantly being there so they assume that you're always going to support them even though not, when you're not working so mm. it's a pretty big challenge Yeah.
2: Thank you so much. So my final question is if you could receive endless funding right there's no limit to the kind of money that you get mm. what would you put it towards for this project?
4: Have a studio called Rhymes mm-hmm. and then make sure that young people who who started or who first came to Rhymes make sure that they're the ones who are like kind of running it and Making all the decisions and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would probably agree with that. Have roles where the young people could be trained and like upskilled to do whatever they want in that. Whether it's you know behind the scenes or in front of the scene, um, if it's wanting to start a record label or DJ or events, um, yeah, just probably skilled staff to help upskill
2: them. To do whatever they want yeah. that sounds wonderful thank you so much y'all for coming on diaspora blues thank,
4: thank you. you for having
1: us i join rhyme
2: to make music i join rhymes to make beats i am currently working on being a dj i'm making beats i'm currently working on songs and beats my favorite song is i friend by me by del if i could be any rapper i'll be Lil dirk If I can be any artist, I'll be a rapper. Any rapper in particular? Uh, Me. Something I've done that I'm proud of is trying to make beats and try to be a DJ. One thing I'm proud of is my songs. Ra! how incredible is everyone? That was the crew from Real Youth Music Studio once again. Thanks to Akolda and Cristobal for letting us into their space and showing us what music and art can do for the community.
3: Hi, this is Isaac, and I'm talking to you from a tree seat 40 metres high in the Arenando Plateau. I'm here with other activists, because we want to stop what Big Forest is planning to do, which is to destroy 60 new areas in one of the last refuges of unburnt forests in East Gippsland. We're calling the state government to protect all unburned areas of East Gippsland. If you want to get involved, contact Gecko at gecko.org.au and join the campaign.
1: A 3CR supporter.
2: So, a few episodes ago, I spoke to Brendan from Viet Speak. To listen to that interview, just jump onto our 3CR page at 3cr.org.au/slash diaspora blues. At the time, Brendan told us about the group's upcoming forum called Small Acts in Viet Speak. Unfortunately, I missed out on that event, but the good folks at Viet Speak recorded the forum for us. And on today's show, we're going to play my favourite highlights from that forum. For those hearing about this event for the first time, the forum Small Acts and Viet Speak was an all-day conference where community members, artists and academics got together to discuss how the film Small Acts reflects the changing landscape of Footscray. They looked at issues like gentrification, language schools, and the way mainstream schools hold back children of colour. Before we play those highlights, let's hear from a few of the panellists in their own words.
0: Hello everyone, my name is Kim Kruger, I'm a Mariner and South Sea Islander woman, and I um, am a teacher and researcher with Mundani Balak Academic Unit um, at Victoria University, and very... um, Pleased to be um, invited here today to be part of this. I think it's an amazing um, idea to to look at small acts in relationship to Viet Speak's work. So thank you.
5: Hi, everyone. Uh, very happy to be here. Uh, my name is Jorge Jorquera. Uh, I work in education. I'm currently um, a council here in Maribyrnong and, and sort of working away with Viet Speak in terms of the objectives of Viet Speak. Uh, I personally like to define myself more than anything by. Uh, I suppose my history is uh, uh, exile to this country from Chile with my family, um, and that's what's kept me close uh, to these sort of causes and a lifelong political activist in that regard.
6: Um, Hi, my name is um, Anwen Austin, and uh, I am a cultural historian, apparently. (laughs) So so I'm with um, Australian Catholic University, and uh, I am with Witspeak with and uh, part of the, the launch and it's great to be part of the community and have um, you all here today.
5: And I'm Huang so I'm a
6: parent. Uh, we have, have kids at Fitzroy Primary, and I was part of the campaign last year and previous years and yeah I'm part of Witspeak.
2: So those were the panelists from the forum now to my favourite highlights. So, the first highlight I want to play is of the group discussing their favourite bits from the movie Small Acts.
0: It was really to me, it was just like Fitzroy or Redfern in that sense because there was a mass population, a critical mass of Aboriginal people in those centres um, and who were being harassed severely by the, by the police. Um, and who did similar things uh, that organized around sort of black power philosophies of surveilling the police brutality and and getting organized and then just think sort of extrapolating that to my own experience I sort of knocking around Fitzroy as a kid Mm -hmm. and into my sort of twenties and now it's like a foreign country to me like I just Mm -hmm. don't go there um, because I, I can't one can't afford to live there to um, all the organizations that were there mm-hmm. when I was coming up um, are now at, at the margins of the greater Melbourne area um, and the the kind of really big impact of that is that the community is more dispersed so it's not as um, strong um, most a lot of people are assimilating into mainstream white Australia, um, and we don't have that strength of, um, yeah, community controlled orgs, um, as much as we did, uh, you know, sort of 20, 30 years ago.
5: For me, I thought there was such a breadth or multiplicity of themes in all the films, including those three, um, and really I suppose it's a matter of what people are interested in taking up in this whole conversation, because, um, you know, even in that first scene um, of Mangrove, or that scene that we showed first there, you know, with the music playing, um, one thing that came up for me there, which is not one of the dominant themes throughout the five films, but I thought was really interesting, it goes to the multiplicity of themes in the films, was this whole notion of the most important community leaders being organic, i.e. Crowell, the you know, manager of, of the Mangrove, being precisely that, and it made me think about, for those of you familiar with the political work of Gramsci, who did a lot of work talking about the organic intellectuals and the importance of those people who come up from the ground up, and they're the leaders who, you know, through their lived experience, are the key to social change, um, and I think that, that was definitely a very dominant theme for me in Mangrove, through the personality of um, Crowell was his name yet, Crowell, who incidentally I'm was sure. harassed yeah, um, harassed for that role right into the 2000s. I think mm-hmm. his last legal case was in 2001, where he mm-hmm. finally got a payout of, I think, £50,000 mm-hmm. uh, for the harassment. Um, so, I mean, of course, that brings up another theme which was constant throughout all five films, which is that none of this has gone away. It's just taken a different um, shape.
6: I'm inclined to just call things generally violence as opposed to racism, because race to me uh, as an American and also, you know, being yellow, (laughs) um, complicated and uh, I've had instances where people have asked me to, 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 you know, be white or black or what are you and, and it feels really not useful. So when you look at the films as in terms of violence and ongoing violence, and um, what the first three I see is, is the suppression of everyday desires, human desires, right? You, you feel this music, this man's happy, he's like walking and he's like, and everyone is elegant in their own way and they're enjoying and he's looking at the woman, she's looking back at him, like everything's groovy. That's. That's desire, that's everyday desire. And you're allowed that freedom of movement and joy, right? And the second scene you see then again, this uh, invasion of a restaurant, like uh, an everyday ritual of life. And they're asking, what are you serving? Well, it's tea. I mean, everyone's allowed to have tea. And so it's sort of like the, the suppression and violence of everyday desires is a
2: type of violence that's ongoing. You're tuned into Diaspora Blues on 3CR Community Radio. Diaspora Blues also airs on Radio Skid Row Tuesdays at 3.30 p.m. So, um, so far we've been playing some of my favourite clips from the forum, Small Axe and Via Speak. Via Speak, as we mentioned, was really generous enough to record that forum. And today I'm kind of just going through the bits that, you know, stuck out to me. So we've listened to two clips. Sorry, we listened to just the first clip. Um, the next clip is of Kim and Hohera and Anne Wynne. And in this clip, they're discussing language suppression in schools and how schools can also be sites of oppression. Welcome to White Australia. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's
5: a good finishing point. <laughs> good conclusion. <Yeah. laughs> Do you want to
0: say something about oh, um, Well, just... Um, yeah thinking about you know language being um, taken out of schools and and schools being a site of violence for um, you know most people Um, yeah so thinking about how Aboriginal communities have responded to to that sort of site of violence because for Aboriginal people you know children are removed from schools um, and then yeah the whole um, oppression of culture you can't you know speak your own language and uh, practice your own culture um, so some of the responses were to have our own school so mm. um, uh, we I think you might hear a bit more in the next session about like Northland Secondary College um, which was a mainstream school that had a high population of Aboriginal students and how they um, you know in the 90s Kenneth the Kennet government shut down, I can't remember, it was like 80 schools or something. Um, 400. Oh, thank you, (laughs) Mari. 400, like incredible, you know, scale. Um, And, yeah, so that's kind of one example of how, not just the Aboriginal community, but, you know, this community worked together to continue to educate their kids in things that were important to them, that kept them in school. Um, And then there's other examples too that are kind of more... Um, culture based, I mean, they had a very strong cultural program there, but um, you know, the black school in Townsville that was run by Eddie Marbo and his wife Benita, um, you know, where they were teaching culture alongside, you know, the three R's, whatever they are, and um, but you know, through through a black um, worldview. And the same with Warrawa College, which was set up by um, Annie Hellas Maris, um, which is still operating up in Healesville um you know she was a, she was a poet and an activist and um, wanted Aboriginal people to grow up with our culture mm-hmm. so um, and there are you know graduates from those schools mm-hmm. around today um, yeah and they're still going mm-hmm. so, well well that school in particular is so mm-hmm. there are other ways to do mm-hmm. things and the Saturday school kind of thing in in education is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. it's it's this sort of, We see kind of um, more affluent um, groups can Mm -hmm. run a Saturday Mm -hmm. school, um, but it also sort of takes you out of the Mm -hmm. community. So there's all this kind Mm -hmm. of discussion around what that might Mm -hmm. look like. But um, yeah, I think I think I'm I'm down for (laughs) (laughs) homeschooling. Get them out, get them away from from the schools because they're horrible. (laughs) But I
6: just To just say, just remember that the cultivation of pride and competency. Pride is the counter and the way to answer shame. When you create competency for yourself or your community with language or culture, that is the power. And we know that from black pride. So, pride, if you look at the history of emotion, answers. It it, it is a a tool of justice and it's something we have to always cultivate for our communities and that belongs in language and what we seek for our children, that pride.
0: And we see that kind of narrative too in, you know, like Howard You know, was talking up this pride in and like the ANZACS Mm. were kind of almost Mm. dead and gone, Mm. but he rebuilt Mm. the ANZACS Mm. and these other kind and that's why we still have cricket for God's sake. Like Mm. that's Mm. you know they're (laughs) trying to kind of manufacture this cult pride, yeah, cultural pride, Mm. and yeah, out of nothing. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Uh,
5: uh, Just uh, well, just because. Kim got me going, like, <laughs> schools are sites of oppression. Where would you start? I don't know if we get, that's a whole other forum, but that scene, <laughs> that scene, I completely agree with you. Um, that scene where the principal's talking to um, the mother and, you know, child, it's like I, I'm almost expecting him to say, oh, and we just, we want to make sure your son doesn't come along on Napland day, say so the results yeah. don't come down. <laughs> that's basically what he's saying. Like, it's, it's yeah it's a whole other conversation, but i think it I think it's just worth noting, given that we're you know this um a lot of these conversations inspired by the experiences of viet speak that mm. part of what we're dealing with in that context and in that struggle is is also the oppressive character of schooling you know which affects okay. every kid um of every color in those schools, and you know as having worked a little bit as a primary teacher like watching that it, it's just really it's there's so many examples of it. It's constant. It's getting worse. I thought it would turn around. At some point, it will turn around. Everything turns around. But mm. it's, at the moment, it's getting worse and worse. That sort of schools as a site of repression. Um, and I think we've got to remember that's a part of the struggle you know, for language as well.
2: So we're going to finish the small acts forum with Anne when reflecting on whether the COVID-19 ref- restrictions, sorry, have made the public sensitive to the plight of refugees. So has the new COVID normal shifted our consciousness?
6: So I'm a refugee scholar, actually. So I work on diasporas and my research is about digital diasporas now. But so displacement is an important Mm. cohesion Mm. of experience that I hoped that COVID had brought to people like You know, some of us couldn't stay in place. Um, People who are stateless, uh, Mm -hmm. aboriginals are displaced in their own country, And you know. So displacement is actually a shared experience commonly to most people. And and with that, the seeking of belonging is also in connection, right? Belonging, connection, that's what everyone seeks. And they're all in one way or another displaced and, um, but the, the COVID situation brought this idea that, yeah, there were the luxury of staying in place was in and of itself like a luxury, right? So mm-hmm. I thought that, that that would shift the consciousness mm-hmm. of people globally mm-hmm. um, about place and being really. Um, out of place, not belonging, not having tribe, not having people to care about you, but not also not having resources. So, you know, one of the bigger cases was Peru because there were no jobs. Everyone went back to their village. And so they were returning home, but with them, they brought the virus and things. So going home or seeking home or, you know, that, that's a shared human um experience and and i'd hope that it would shift the consciousness more at large because you know
2: you know we all float around with our own consciousness
6: but you you encounter violence
2: again we want to thank the crew from viet speak for recording the event for us and for their radical grassroots campaigning if you're interested in learning more about the group viet speak go to vietbilingual.org that's vietbilingual.org um, and that is the end of our show. We need to get out of here ASAP. But don't forget, you can listen to this episode and all of our previous episodes on our 3CR page at 3CR.org.au. Sorry, Diaspora Blues. I'm just going to say that one more time because I felt like it just got choked in my throat. So that's 3CR.org.au slash Diaspora Blues.